This podcast may include adult content. Welcome to Bound Off, a literary audio broadcast. This month, we're participating in the Forecast 42 project. Shia Scanlon is serializing his novel, titled Forecast, chapter by chapter across 42 different web journals and blogs. In this edition of Bound Off, he's reading chapter 27, and you can catch up on previous chapters by visiting shiascanlon.com slash forecast. Bound Off is always looking for great stories. Visit our website at boundoff.com to find our submission guidelines. Forecast, Chapter 27. Written and read by Shia Scanlon. Listening time, 15 minutes, 38 seconds. Chapter 27. As she reached up to hug Busy, Helen couldn't help but wonder how Blaine's company would compare. How would she feel about making this underground trek with someone who'd seemed vaguely hostile toward her from the beginning? She knew this was unfair. She'd rudely intruded on their routine. But it nonetheless took a conscious effort to extend her trust in Busy all the way through his partnership with, and therefore, she told herself, his trust in, this man who'd so far been all shadows and furrowed brow. That said, she'd begun her voyage without any expectation of help after all, and so to second-guess upon receipt what she would hardly have hoped for in hypothesis was absurd. She decided that whatever doubts she had at the moment, she should try to shake off and hide traces of any that remain, since they'd surely be mistaken as ungratefulness. She felt a little light-headed. I'll meet you topside, at a seams place, Busy said. Good, Helen said, and it was. Busy nodded over Helen's shoulder, and she turned in time to see Blaine leading Rocket through the tall revolving doors. I guess that makes me next, she said, and turned back to meet Busy's eyes. Busy, however, had already left the room, and she found herself alone, with her only company the sound of footsteps coming down the stairs she'd just descended. I guess that's my cue, she said, and made for the doors still spinning from Blaine's hefty budge. As she stepped in, she felt the as mask growing up into her hair, a familiar feeling, but one that still gave her the shivers. It seemed so greedy, somehow. She pressed the brass bar. She revolved. Helen's first impulse when she got outside was to look up. The sun shone bright and hot, not quite at the height of its arch. It was still before noon, but high and warm, and she closed her eyes for a moment. It felt good to just stand there. She felt like she'd been inside, in the dark, for days. She heard bits of passing conversations and shouts from down the block. She heard bicycles and their bells, rockets bark. She let her skin soak in the sun's rays. She let the wet sand between her toes still clump together, still cool, dry. A sea breeze relieved the intensity of the sun's heat. She knew how much Rocket loved to swim, and she thought about joining him, but couldn't move, couldn't ruin the moment. She heard the splashing and laughs of children. They were playing frisbee, and the bright red disc flew past her, back and forth, back and forth. Playing catch had never been something she saw much purpose in, but at that moment she understood that for this exact reason, 
but because it pulled all potential interpretation and wiped it away, leaving only the ball, the arm, the hand, the eye, that it was somehow perfect, or at any rate, a reasonable thing for the beach. We should get going, her father said. I know, she said, I know. She resisted a little. She knew the day was almost over, but if she could just have a moment longer, a moment to let the damp sand dry, to fall off, return to its source. Rocket barked again, closer now. It wasn't a mean-spirited bark at all. It was a greeting. It was hello. It was sun. It was come play. You want to find a seam or not? Marshall said. He was all business, as usual. A seam, she thought. Yes. Of course she wanted to find him. He should really have come to the beach. Why hadn't he just come along? He was always working for that awful man, Mr. Stiles. Helen made a face. She couldn't imagine why anyone would want to work for someone like that. At least Knuckle wore everything on his sleeve. He was a rotten bastard, but he was a simple man, with a bewildered soul, and little control over his own likes and dislikes. Mr. Stiles didn't have any likes and dislikes. Little machines in his face twisted his cheeks upward when they were told that smiling must occur. It was horrible to watch. Little fingernails of toxic waste kept his blood above freezing. There was no comparison. The children began to laugh a bit more loudly, and the wind picked up. The sun on Helen's face felt prickly, and she wondered if she might not be getting burned. A frisbee careened too close to her head, the whooshing sound like a small pocket of air that captured nice thoughts to take them away. The nice thoughts moaned and grew smaller. Grabbed by grubby little fingers playing catch and stuffed down into pants to mingle with prepubescent testicles and rubbing legs in a run back to mothers who smoked as they sat in their beach chairs, drinking Long Island iced tea out of fake coconuts, and Helen's face was now completely scrunched up, her eyes squeezed tightly together, her neck stone tense. She tried to move. She tried to speak. You gonna stand there all day, sweetheart, or are we going somewhere? Helen looked down to find Rocket looking up, his tail wagging. Oh, Rocket, she said. It's so good to see you. Good to see me, eh? Rocket turned around and began walking toward Blaine. Thanks. What's it been, 45 seconds? You ought to close your eyes more often. Helen saw that Blaine was wearing an as mask and remember she had hers on, too. She felt dizzy. It was put up there because people didn't like having no sense of time. Blaine's voice was a bit softer than Busy's. Helen noticed with some surprise. He hadn't, he hadn't actually spoken to her since they'd first met in the parking lot. She'd expected something with more anger in it. No sense of time? The passage of time. Weren't you looking at the sun just then? Oh, right, the sun. They project it down here to keep everyone sane. Helen held her hand out and looked at the light reflect off the surface of her skin. So it's a projection, she said. It's made out of tile, from what I understand. Tile? Well, whatever it is, I like it, she said. She did, in fact, like it. And strangely, it didn't take a bit of effort for Helen to reconcile the fact that she was underground with the fact that there was a sky, complete with birds, clouds, though not very many, and, radiant with heat, a perfectly proportioned sun. I like the warmth. The warmth? Helen looked confused. But he didn't wait for Helen to answer. You haven't been down here before, am I right? Helen nodded. She'd never been down here. And she hadn't even really looked around yet. 
What had passed for her first experience here was now nothing more than a lingering hint of brine in the air that she thought it better not to mention. She turned to look back at the building she'd come out of, B&B Financial Services, as the large painted sign stately said, was located in a six-story brick office building that looked like it had dated from the early 1900s. The tall, thin windows were four-paneled, grimy. Some of them cracked. Very retro, she said. All built to code, Blaine said flatly. Everything down to the ridiculous cobblestone street. He stamped his feet. Helen looked around, and sure enough, all the buildings had a similar appearance. The entire area looked like a part of old Seattle called Pioneer Square. Once the central commerce hub of the city, it had gradually become a bar crawl for 20-somethings with fast-track jobs to complete self-annihilation. This was all before Helen's time, of course, before the blackout, but the city had continued to maintain the area, despite protests that public monies should, could be better spent, and continued to take pride in a place that ultimately became the locus of herd mentality binge drinking for the entire region. If you're thinking Pioneer Square, you're right on the money, Blaine said. Helen had said Pioneer Square out loud. She touched the static lips of her mask. The city figured they'd capture the spirit of old Seattle and make people feel more at home. It was taking too long for folks to feel comfortable down here, not to mention that for a while it was just a bunch of grifters, whores, and remo addicts. Yeah, Izzy told me about it. Blaine spat. He did, eh? Yeah, hey, wasn't Pioneer Square gradually shut down after some big Mardi Gras gang rape in the middle of the street? Who the hell knows? Well, it was before my time, but that's what I heard. Helen spat, too. It's funny what passes for nostalgia these days. Blaine chuckled. You're all right, Helen. You too, she agreed. The world is just such a beautiful place, Rocket said in his refreshingly sarcastic voice. Can we get going? There's much to be pissed on. Helen tried to get her bearings. There was a law office next door at B&B's, and a bail bond place next door to that. Food vendors fed the streets, and the smell of stale coffee and pastries mingled with something earthy Helen guessed was simply a property of the underground air. Though she didn't see any cars, the people kept to the sidewalks, primarily using the streets to jaywalk to the other side here and there, scurrying as if to avoid traffic. She noted that not many people she saw were wearing as masks, and took that as a good sign. Rocket took off again to sniff around some garbage cans. Are no cars allowed down here at all? she asked. Only cops. How handy for them. All the better, Blaine said dryly, for them to skim off as many tills as possible in the shortest amount of time. In a place where even the law was illegal, Helen said as though quoting something noir. The tale of a, of a woman trying to recover her past, but in danger of losing her future, Blaine said, playing along. Losing her future? God, I hope not. Yeah, well, it'd make a better book. Helen changed the subject. How long of a trek is this, anyway? Not too far, maybe a couple hours, depending. On? On whether or not we encounter any obstacles, I guess. Well, let's hope not, Helen said, adding a dramatic pause. Though, of course, it would make... A better book, right. Blaine smiled from the upper corner of his cheek. Shall we see what this book has in store for us? Helen looked for Rocket, and caught sight of him begging for food from a kebab stand, his tail adorably wagging. She tried to think of the last time she'd eaten, and recalled her experience at Knuckles' franchise. Though it had been, she estimated, a good eight hours since then, she didn't feel the slightest bit hungry. 
This made her inexplicably sad. Could not being hungry make you sad? She tried to remember. Maybe she was feeling sad for a different reason entirely, she considered. And she'd wrongly associated it with her lack of hunger due to the proximity and time of her awareness of these two facts. This was an absurd thought process. Let it do its worst, she said to Blaine, and motioned for him to lead the way. We'll do that, he said. He began walking. We're cutting through an abandoned amusement park to minimize our exposure, so that should give the book plenty of opportunity to throw us a curveball. Oh, right! Helen was a few steps behind Blaine, and was watching the shoulders of this big man dodge and bob in his shuffle. I saw that in the map room. Blaine stopped without turning. Busy took you to the map room? His exasperation was unconcealed. I wasn't supposed to see the map room? Blaine turned around. He was upset, and his mask was red. It had taken on a strangely evil aspect, in fact, that caused Heaven to recoil. The corners of its eyes swept farther up and out, and the nose turned farther down, pointing to a pointing chin. That man just has no fucking filter, the asthmas growled. Blaine's shoulders raised up, and his whole body seemed to grow tense. His massive paws spread wide, his fingers flexed. But as soon as he'd let this demon rage, he reeled himself back in. Helen watched as Blaine's mask retreated back to its basic state, and she made a mental note to avoid bringing up Busy, if at all possible. I don't know what all Busy's told you, or shown you, but I'd take it all with a grain of salt. Blaine now spoke with a measure of frustration, but was remaining calm. It sounded like practical advice. The fact is, he'll do anything to earn a little extra buzz on the side. Really? Helen's heart sank, because he basically told me that he was the only one still interested in anything other than buzz production. Well, it just goes to show you how convoluted a mind can get when its objective is in competition with its own awareness thereof. Helen thought about this. It made sense, but she wasn't sure she was ready to concede that her connection with Busy was just some element of his attempt at self-deception. Couldn't it be Blaine, not Busy, who was out to convolute what seemed like such an innocent exchange? I have to admit that I hadn't really considered this either. That is, I didn't know how far I could trust Busy, let alone Blaine. But it was more for the basic fact of his criminality. He'd seemed quite genuine during his conversation with Helen, and I'd begun to sympathize with his position despite myself. Whether this was cause to doubt any of the basic elements of Busy's involvement remained to be seen, but this certainly brought my attention back to the fact that this whole scenario stunk. The asthmasks, the warrant... Helen's company, and of course, his whole notion that reconnecting with a seam would help Helen in any way, though it goes against a lot of my general feelings about the life Helen had been living, I couldn't help but wish she'd never left her neighborhood in the first place. Rocket, Helen called. Here, boy. She felt it was about time to be closer to the dog. Rocket, who was munching on some odds and ends spared by the vendor, looked over and shook his head. He'd be right over was what Helen read from this. But of course you could say. She didn't want to seem desperate, so she left it at that, and fell back a couple steps further behind Blaine. So, anyway, an abandoned theme park, eh? Helen said. She wanted to keep them talking, so she could keep track of Blaine's emotional register. He'd outed his feelings once before with little provocation, and she didn't want to be taken by surprise. Talking made her feel like she had some control over what was going on. She decided to tend his attitude as though it were a flock of sheep. 
all the little pieces of history that conspire to create mood and response being herded by her yapping trap. It was actually the first major construction down here, Blaine said. His attitude lightened. It was working. They built it, get this, to train kids how to handle natural disasters. They kept walking, Helen a couple steps behind, and were soon joined by Rocket, who came up beside Helen and, after a prophylactic shush and a silent nod toward Blaine, tuned in to what was being said and fell into stride. Blaine was being humored, Rocket understood, and apparently there was some good reason. Shia Scanlon's fiction and poetry have appeared in the Mississippi Review, Literary Review, New York Quarterly, Cake Train, Opium Magazine, and elsewhere. His novel Forecast is being serialized semi-weekly across 42 websites. For a full list of participants and links to live chapters, please visit shiascanlon.com forecast. Thanks for listening to this edition of Bound Off. Copyright Bound Off and the respective authors. All rights reserved. Visit our website at boundoff.com for information about our broadcasts and how to submit your stories. <laughs>